Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. Today, on this episode, I have such a special treat. We are going to be joined by Sana Ajmal and Anam Anwar from Pakistan, from Mithi Zindagi. Sana Ajmal has been living with type 1 diabetes since the age of 15. She is the founder and executive director of Mithi Zindagi, which is the only diabetes community organization in Pakistan. And she's going to tell us a lot more about that along with Anam as well. With her engineering mind, due to her academic background in the field, she believes in developing a system-based approach on international best practices that are tailored to meet local needs and support people with the use of technology, which is a foundation stone for their organization as well. And Anam Anwar has been living with type 1 diabetes for the last 26 years. She's a diabetes advocate, a certified diabetes educator, and a biotechnologist by profession. And Miti Zindagi has been working for the last five years in the area of insulin support and access, um, education, peer support, awareness, and advocacy at the national level in Pakistan. They're the only patient-centric organization working for the rights of people with diabetes in Pakistan at the moment, and they are doing some of the most amazing things, um, overcoming obstacles, supporting people to get the supplies they need. They run a lot of education programs, a lot of patient programs, and they're both truly an inspiration. I'm so happy to have them with us today. Let's get to the show. Okay, so hello, Sana and Anam. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's really a pleasure to have you. And as we were just talking before we pushed record, we've been trying to do this for a few months now. So it's it's really great that you're here. Thank you so much. So much for having us, Pam. It's uh, it's wonderful to join you, and we've been following some of your earlier podcasts, and really excited to be a part of it. Wonderful. Uh-huh. Thank you. So before we dive into Meet Zindagi and the organization, tell can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And of course, people will be curious to know about your journey with type 1 diabetes and kind of what led you to where you are now. So can start with whoever wants to go first, or I could go in alphabetical order. <laughs> and then Autumn, that would mean you, you tell your story first. Okay. So, hi, this is Anam. Um, I'm living with type 1 diabetes since, I guess, uh, 26 years by now. And uh, it was, I would say it was a very exciting ride. But uh, when I got diagnosed back in 1996, things were not the same as they are right now. Uh, today, diabetes, I would say it's uh, it was challenging. But now I feel it was an opportunity for me to do a lot of stuff, which I'm doing today. Back then, it was uh, a bit dark. And uh, the, the hardest part was the isolation part. I was completely alone and uh, having no peer support and no type 1 friend was the biggest thing that made me and that made diabetes a big challenge for me because it's hard when you cannot relate with someone when you have nobody to talk with to understand who can understand your feelings so that was one part apart from that yes there was a lot of stigma associated to it there were a lot of discrimination at uh, school some bullying part and people taking it as a um, as a communicable disease instead of taking it as a non communicable disease and they had there was no awareness which which was the hard part because making people accept it and uh, making your family accept it and then going through with it there are a lot of challenges physical as well as mental challenges so it makes the journey a bit harder but i'm really glad that uh, after completing my gra- I'm, I, I never stopped fighting back with it my family supported me my friends support near your friends supported it and uh, luckily i belong to a family who always empowered me to get my education completed and uh, uh, i graduated in 2013 in biotechnology and from after that that uh, 
when I was graduated, I was very happy that finally I have accomplished what I wanted to. But after doing some catharsis, I felt like there is still something missing in it. And that was that isolation part that till that time, I had no type one friend and I really wanted that in my life. So I started uh, searching on internet and everything. And then I fi- uh, luckily found Sana, founder of Niki Zindagi. And that changed my life in a very uh, positive manner that that isolation feeling went out and uh, we started working together. We started working for our passion and that created or that made me what I am today. I, I feel great that uh, I was able to find her and uh, to work for my community and to uh, finish that feeling that which I've went through throughout my childhood. Amazing. And amazing that you were determined like to find somebody with, with type one and, and then you're, you're connected. I like that. I like that. So Sana, why don't you share a little bit about your story with us? Okay. So I think, Anam has said quite a lot of uh, what I think all of us feel as people with type 1 diabetes or as people with diabetes, I would say. I was diagnosed at the age of 15, and um, I think that's very... uh, So Anam was four when she was diagnosed, and I was 15, and there's a huge age gap in that. But when I think about it, I think... um, both have their own sensitivities attached to them. And at the age of 15, I was like a budding youth and uh, I was a very social person. And then suddenly came type 1 diabetes and I had gone into a DKA coma because my type 1 diabetes could not be diagnosed on time. And when I went to the hospital, they thought that probably I was dehydrated and I was also, I had an upset stomach. So they put me on a glucose drip. So my blood sugar shot up and I went into a coma. So we used to live in a small, in a small cantonment area. My father was uh, in the army and uh, the news spread there like wildfire. And I was already a very social person. So everyone in that area already knew me. And then this news that Sana is in a coma in the hospital that spread like wildfire. So I never had a choice to make it public or not. It was already public before I came back to life, I would say. I think that did some good things to me and that did some bad things to me as well. So initially I found that very, uh, very stressful that everybody knows about it and everybody um, probably because of their lack of diabetes knowledge would think that um, this is just the end for me or uh, life is not going to be the same or that I wouldn't be able to achieve anything. And people would, of course, out of their, out of their benevolence, perhaps they would, try to come and soothe you but sometimes that that uh, that empathy translates into pity for the person who is experiencing it and that's what created I was like whoa I, I this is not me I was a high achiever in school I was I was very social a person liked by almost everyone so I had a lot of friends on my wedding day there were a hundred friends that I invited so you can imagine the you can imagine big party amazing yeah you can imagine the kind of social circle I used I had so um it was like everyone knew about it and then not everything coming from them sounded positive to me when I reflected on it as part of my future so um that's when I decided that I'm going to I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to change this perspective but how or when, I really did not know. So my first thoughts that probably came to me at that age were to prove myself in education. And I started pursuing that. Um, ended up doing a PhD in engineering and then decided that, oh, I, I wasn't supposed to do this because <laughs> probably I was working on the PhD part uh, more for uh, self-actualization, I would say, than out of genuine interest for the field. I performed very well, but I think it was more about trying to actualize my own inner feelings that I can do it and uh, to prove it to myself and to everyone. So once I was done with my PhD, um, and then I started, and then was the time that I started trying to explore within my own self, what did I really want to do? 
And I came up with this that I actually wanted to work for the diabetes community. And that's what, uh, that's what, that's where my passion lies. So I joined uh, IDF Young Leaders Program, the first batch in 2011, got trained with them for uh, two years. And that's where I think Anam found me while searching on Google for someone for type one from Pakistan. And that's how she found me. She contacted me. And then we became very good friends. Probably, uh, I think the closest friend I have is Anam. Uh, she has been with me for so long now. So we, we built Michis and Digi from the scratch as a peer support program, starting as a peer support program, and then realizing that we need to venture out into insulin support as well, because a lot of people that we were trying to support psychologically and emotionally uh, were did not have access to insulin. So we just we sat down and we discussed that how can you actually support someone emotionally when they do not have the very basic thing that they need. So we ventured out into, as an organization, into providing insulin and test trips to the underprivileged and then into peer education and structured education to the type one community. And that's what Michi Zindagi is today. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just just to, uh, just to say that I've got two beautiful kids, uh, 14 and 10, who helped me a lot with all of this. The Every summer is a volunteer with us. And... Um, Mikis and Ligi has has been co-developed with with the help of the diabetes community and the families that we support. Amazing. You look too young to have a 14-year-old. I have a 14-year-old as well, and I feel like you're looking way too young. I'm 38. I won't tell you how old I am. I think, though, I've mentioned it in a random social media post. But anyway, no, that's, that's amazing. Like, so inspirational and wonderful that you found each other and you built this really beautiful thing and the reach of your organization is is incredible in the stuff you do because we see it on social media um, also some um, people in your association attended our online camp last year yeah it was last year time is flying so quickly sometimes I can't remember was it this year or was it last year and people joined from even some of the most rural areas. So I think, you know, you should, I hope that often you take time to step back and look at the amazing work that you've done. And you have some of the most engaged members that I've ever seen. They, they are just incredible. The kids were incredible. The parents were showing up every day. They really wanted to know, they want to learn. And I think that's, you know, that's part of a general curiosity. I think most people I've met from Pakistan, they, they like to learn. Education is important. But I think because of your work, people are so engaged. And it's it's just such an amazing thing that you've done beyond, I, I don't want to say beyond access, because access is so critical. Access to insulin, like you said, first and foremost, and access to anything, information and, and everything that comes with it. But your organization's amazing. Your organization Zindagi, uh, what does that translate to in English? I think I will leave Anam to do that. Sweet life. It's sweet life. Sweet, yeah. sweet life. So the concept is that either here in Pakistan and maybe in South Asian region, people do feel like if you have diabetes, you can't eat sweet. So that was the basic concept that even with diabetes, our life still can remain sweet and happy. So that's why we named it like that. That's nice. I like that. And breaking that stigma is so important. It's not just in Pakistan. It's everywhere. When my son was younger, even now he was at a friend's house. And, and it's it's lovely that the, the parents care enough to ask the question, can he eat this or that? Or once there was a school party and somebody was sending cupcakes and the mom sending them in was like, well, I could put some berries in the cupcake paper. And my... It, it was bittersweet. Like my heart really broke at that moment, but I really appreciated that she was even thoughtful enough to ask. So you can't get upset when people ask the question, but it is frustrating because you guys can eat everything but poison. Yeah. And, and I, I believe it's not only about eating sweet, but even with diabetes. Uh, and now I proudly say that even with diabetes, my life is better than many. And I'm really thankful and grateful to God for that. It's still, it's not something which I cannot deal with. So uh, even with diabetes, everything is okay. Everything is happy in my life. Nice. 
And if you have diabetes in, in Pakistan, whether that's type one or type two, and in general, and there, you mentioned, you know, some don't have access to insulin. Is it a public health system or is it more of a private health system? How are people obtaining the supplies and, and the things that they need? And then, then so tell us about how you can support of, that. It's a mixed kind of system. Um, so almost 30% of our healthcare is uh, managed by the public healthcare system and the 70% goes to private healthcare. So there is no insulin support in the private healthcare system except for some charity organizations that are working to provide insulin and the strips to people with diabetes. Uh, in the public healthcare system, it's a mixed uh, mixed ball game. So there are some tertiary care hospitals in the major cities that do provide insulin, but they don't provide the test strips and the needles, syringes, etc., to anyone. Also, at times. The support is irregular. So you may find out that you're traveling for two hours, you reach that hospital, you stand in a line for the whole day for waiting for your turn. And by the time you reach the pharmacy or it's your turn, they have run out of insulin for the day and you need to come back again on another day. So those kind of irregularities are often faced. Um, and apart from that, the restriction in types of insulin. So only human insulin is provided, and most of the hospitals. Um, We'll be providing premix 7030, which is not recommended for children and adolescents for type one with type one diabetes at all. It's it's tough. I mean, uh, so if a child requires, for example, due to nocturnal hypoglycemias or anything like that, if a child requires basal insulin, there is no government support for that. And of, um, and also for the very poor people who cannot even afford test strips, um, it's like trying to make them shoot arrows in the dark. So they're just taking insulin without testing for months. That gets tough. When we were uh, like starting on our insulin support program, the major the major question, you were talking about the reach of the organization earlier, and um, I think it's a good time to connect these two. We, we, we sat down and we thought about it, that what do we actually want to do? Do we want to support people in a certain area only? And the answer from our board was no. We want to be able to support um, children throughout Pakistan. And we developed a system where people could actually get their supplies at their doorsteps. So anyone from anywhere in Pakistan coming through a legit doctor can get uh, registered with us. And we would, we would provide them the insulin that they need, number one, because if they require basils um, and the basil is not available, but the doctor thinks that the basil is required, but it is not available in the public sector hospital near them, we we'll provide them with the basil insulin. Um, we provide them with um, test strips, enough test strips to check for three to four times a day. And we provide them the needles and syringes as well to make sure that they don't have to use this, reuse the same ones again and again to, um, and and not uh, and not have to do with so much pain. So uh, and then we send it to their homes because we think that diabetes, specifically when you talk about type one, it's a long life ahead, and going to a hospital every month is a huge cost on the pocket of uh, the family. Uh, we're talking about daily wagers here. We're talking about the laborers who would get wages on daily basis. And this means making them waste one day of their wages or maybe more. So I think as a, as a community representative, I think that's, that's just not uh, something that we would have liked to do with anyone uh, living with diabetes. I remember my father was in the armed forces and the armed forces support uh, their officers with insulin. And though the armed forces healthcare system is considered to be uh, the best in the country, I still remember that it was always a burden to go to the hospital every month and to get it from the pharmacy. Though my own mother was a doctor and would just barge into offices and uh, um, of her colleagues and I'll just get the prescription done quickly and go to the pharmacy and get everything done quickly. But still, it was still a hassle. So we did not want anyone from the community having to go through that hassle on every month. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. And even, you know, coming from a place where things are accessible, the first three, three years, we didn't have a doctor, first of all, um, that was local or that we knew of that was here. 
when we found one, it was in Abu Dhabi, like on the other side of Abu Dhabi, which was about an hour and a half drive from Dubai. So my son would miss a day of school because they're not open on the weekend. And it was a government hospital, not open later, even in the, into the evening, I would have to take a day off work. We would drive hour and a half, one way, have the appointment, which was fantastic. Like the, uh, Dr. Asmadi was our first doctor. Amazing. Then we would get the insulin from their pharmacy just because at the time I, you know, wasn't sure going to get it from another pharmacy or what we should do. And then we were using vials and those you can't just find in any pharmacy. So we waited usually a couple of hours additionally, sometimes even in the pharmacy because the pharmacy was so busy. And then we would drive back to Dubai. And when she, it, it, it was, it was always like this big event and my, you know, it was, it's hard also to predict the future. What's the best day to pull your kid out of school if there's a critical exam or something happening. And when finally we had a doctor come to Dubai, she said, Hey, I love seeing you guys, but there will be a doctor five, 10 minutes away from you. So you might want to consider seeing him. And like, I can't imagine how challenging that is. Like you said, if, if you're not on a salary and you're depending on daily wages, and then you have an expense to get there and maybe you don't have a car and you're taking public transportation. And then also you have insulin, you may not be able to keep it cold as you're, you're going back home. There's so many things that go, go into all of this. So just the fact that you're able to support. You just need to go to the, the, the to see the doctor and that should happen on a regular basis i do agree so we uh we have a requirement on all children to be seen by their doctors every three months but that's all that should be there uh, i mean the child i think it's it's just very hard on the family and the child uh to go through this routine every month and sometimes you're talking about people traveling from so far away so i remember a child who uh whose father had to bring her from the top of a mountain because their their house was on the top of a mountain. And the nearest, nearest place where, where a doctor could be seen was at a two hours hike. There was no car available. So imagine those kind of challenges that people face, even in large cities. Like every day we have... Um, we have referrals from hospitals for children who have to travel three hours, four hours to get their insulin from that government hospital. And uh, sometimes they're unable to manage that. And what happens is that they start rationing insulin. They reduce the dose till the time they can actually visit. And that's dangerous. That should not happen. Not extremely dangerous. No, that, that should definitely not happen. And so amazing that you all are part of the solution or for many people, the solution. And now a word from our sponsor. Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast is brought to you by the Diapoint shop. Diapoint is a place for people touched by diabetes. We support people through education, events, services, and advocacy, as well as with beautiful diabetes accessories sold in the D shop. Visit diapointshop.com to see all of the wonderful, useful things that we have to support you in your health, wellness, and diabetes. We offer the highest quality possible and have tried or regularly use most of the items in the shop ourselves. Check out www.diapointshop.com now to get the latest in health, wellness, and accessories. Now back to the show. And how would you say in the case of type 2 diabetes, are people having similar challenges? Is it more openly accepted or is there also a lot of stigma like we see in other countries as well? Um, as far as I see type 2 community, um, maybe I'm because I'm talking from a type 1's perspective, what I have seen mostly is that uh, I feel that uh, I'm grateful that we have type 2 as well, because with that, people have some awareness about diabetes. At least they can relate that it's something they have to be uh, cautious about, because we have very 
good a uh, huge number of prevalence of a uh, huge prevalence of type 2 diabetes and uh, almost every third or fourth person in each family has type 2 diabetes so it's not a good number but uh, it 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 is in it, it has a big prevalence here as far as the stigma is concerned in young adults with type 2 which is now becoming very common it is there will take diabetes as diabetes no matter if it is type 1 or type 2 because they really don't know what's the differentiation between the two and um, i met a girl who was studying in a college and she got uh, and then there is a big uh, another big issue is that when people in younger ages get type 2 diabetes it's hard for uh, them to get diagnosed the right diagnosis so often they are being shifted on insulin directly or maybe they are considered they are known as type 1 and then later on there's later on they get to know that no it's not type 1 it's type 2 so there are challenges like that so i guess the major issue uh, apart from stigma is the literacy rate or maybe the awareness which people need to um, people need to know that this is a condition and we can at least in type 2 we can say that we can delay the onset or we can have a, a better life for a longer time period so that awareness is missing that healthcare awareness uh, people have habits of eating whatever they want to and there is no portion control and stuff like that with because of that the prevalence is really high and when they get it they feel like okay i am already 40 i am already 50 years old so it's okay it's a part of me i have i knew that i have to have this type 2 diabetes and uh, maybe that's why they are but then there are also people who are health conscious and maybe due to genetics or whatever reasons are associated with type 2 diabetes they still get it and they feel like now they have to be well managed and they try it for that so uh, it's a mix and match we have a country of 22 crore people so there are a lot many differences differences in each segment of our uh, country and uh, they do it in different ways that is how it is and sana would you like to add something yeah i think stigma um, stigma is more about having diabetes at a young age as compared to the type and the second part that comes in is with insulin because people often think that insulin is a end stage solution and uh, you'll often hear comments like if you're taking insulin means that this is these are your last years uh, it's almost like the end um stuff like this another, another very common comment that uh, you are too young to have diabetes So, oh yeah, we get yeah. that one a lot. What especially what he was diagnosed at 21 months old. They're like, "What?" Yeah. Yeah. So the, these kind of things and I think um but for the older people with type 2, they're more like they're very relaxed as I'm saying. Uh it's just like it's so common. It's uh I think the stats say that every fourth person in Pakistan has type 2 diabetes. So it's like so common that people take it very casually. Are they taking just it too even, casually to the yeah. point where they're maybe complacent about it or are they or do they accept it to the point that they say okay I have this and I embrace it? I think it's more about this that it's okay to have it and uh, yeah these are like I've spent my life already it's okay I I don't need to care so much hmm. about it going it's forward. more like that like 80% of population is like that because I am now I am an adult um I have passed half of my life so it's okay to have diabetes. Mm. I like that they think it's okay to have diabetes, but I don't like that it's associated with life being over. It's actually kind of a new beginning because you learn so much more about your health when you have it or you can if if you want to. That's yeah. that's a very interesting approach though. Awareness is missing. I think a lot of awareness needs to be there. Uh most of the people with type 2 diabetes do not really take care of them a lot. Um and it's like that's sometimes concerning because you get to hear these comments like i i think it has to do a lot with the upbringing part and uh, in in pakistan i i often joke about this that till the time I, and i i'm sure that it's the same in so many countries around the world when a child is very young when he or she is a toddler um until unless he has very chubby cheeks uh, they're not considered cute mm. so often get comments like why is the child so weak even if they are 
they have a normal body weight, if they're active, that does not matter. What the, but the comments that they will get, get from everyone around them is that, why is the child so weak? Don't you feed him or her properly? And then what the mother would be forced in a, in a way uh, from all that peer pressure would be forced to do is to overfeed the child. Mm. Um, and I often uh, joke about this, that they put spoonfuls and spoonfuls of things into his mouth till the time the cheeks are chubby and the child is very uh, bulky and looks cute. But then when the same child grows up and gets type 2 diabetes and then we're telling them to now start cutting down on the portion, not eat this or not eat that, that gets weird. So a healthy lifestyle has to be adopted from birth. And that's what's completely, I think, missing in our culture. Hmm. So we tend to overfeed them till they are grown-ups. And after that, we tell them, oh, no, now you have type 2 diabetes. Now you don't need to eat this. You should not eat that. And that gets difficult for anyone. Wow. And so many parts of the world, too. And it's not just a reflection of saying, oh, your, your child's unhealthy because they don't have fat cheeks. It's also shaming the mom saying you're a horrible mom because your your child is underweight or not enough or whatever. So you must be doing something wrong, which is also so frustrating. Yeah, the peer pressure. I can't imagine. I mean, moms have it hard enough because everyone has an opinion about how you should be raising your child. Or I remember once even my son, when he was a baby, he was crying. We're not sure why. And a random man, like a man that may or may not even have had children like shouted at me, like, can't you go change his diaper or something like, you know, so people that don't even maybe know, have an opinion about it. And then even still, even though I know, like, I don't see a child with that man, but you still question like, what is this? It, 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 I wasn't thinking I was necessarily a bad mom, but some of the, the comments and stuff, you know, they slowly chip away at, I guess the mom psyche. And then, you ha- you're like, oh, thinking about all these things. So it, it's, it's quite challenging. First time mom, uh, and that's happening. Um, to be a mom for the first time, there's a lot of, I think there should be a lot of preparation for that kind of role. I, it's a very hard role to uh, play. Mm-hmm. And I remember my kids being being told off for being very skinny. Both of them are like sticks <laughs> till date, but, but that's because they're so active. Right. Uh, Whatever they eat, it's just just because they're so active. They ride horses, they swim, they go for uh, karate classes, and they're so active that they just can't help but be skinny. Right. But and genetically, they, they may be that way as well. They just grow up and not out necessarily. Some people have that that gene too. But if I if I wasn't strong enough to reply back or to not hear or not to pay heed to all those kind of comments, I think I would have been doing the same to just keep feeding them and not, not letting them run too much so that they put on some weight. I remember um, she did for the younger one because he was too skinny, so she used to try to feed underweight. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing if you're medically underweight and then sometimes, you know, maybe you need to eat more or if, you know, sometimes children don't eat, there's always... Yeah. Kind he was of born at 0.5 kilograms. Uh, he was a bit premature. He was born at 2.5 uh, kilograms, so he needed to put on that. Yeah, put on the, the baby <laughs> weight. Amazing, amazing. So I want to turn the discussion. I believe, Sana, it was you. You received an award, the Leonard Award, for your advocacy work. Yeah, so Can I received it. Okay, so um, the Leonard Award was... Um, was for the insulin centenary. Uh, it was announced in December 2021 uh, for 100 years of insulin. And there were uh, there were five categories uh, for which they selected people from around the world. I was selected for the advocacy category for grassroots level advocacy and impact-driven change uh, in Pakistan and around the world. So yeah, that's about it. I think I'm really proud to have received that. I, um, it encouraged me a lot because at that time I was facing an advocacy burnout. I think sometimes it just gets to you because a lot of effort needs to be put into advocacy day in and day out. And uh, like just before we started this recording, we were discussing that it does give you a little bit of burnout at times. So yeah, it was very encouraging to get that. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. And for those of you not familiar with it, um, the Leonard Award was named after Leonard Thompson, who was the first person to be treated with insulin in 1922. Um, and the award, it's, a, it's sponsored by Lily that makes insulin, um, but it's it's quite an honorable recognition. And so I agree with you. Yeah. It gave the prize to the donated to life for a child uh, for every person who received the award. And uh, that's that's amazing. Because, oh, uh, that's amazing. And much needed. Yeah. Life for a child is an amazing um, movement and, and organization. So that's really great that they did that. And great that they did recognize your work. And I think there is a certain level of you can probably, I think we should, you know, create the term if it's not out there already, advocacy burnout. And especially when you yourself are dealing with the condition, even though you're quite used to it and you live with it day in and day out, but you still have your own challenges with it. And it can be so frustrating, but then advocating for others and supporting them and representing them and you know, giving, which we all love to do and is so important. And we wouldn't, you know, change a second of doing that. But sometimes, you know, they say you can't pour from an empty cup. Sometimes you can feel depleted in not having that, that energy when you're like always kind of scraping the bottom of the, the barrel when you're, you're doing so much because supporting people with diabetes, whether you're supporting one person with diabetes, or you're supporting many people with diabetes, and then taking it a step further and trying to get insulin and supplies to places where it's very difficult and access and doing the things that you're doing is really difficult. So what do you all do to kind of recharge yourselves? Not diabetes related specifically. <laughs> Good question. I think uh, when you're providing peer support, you're also getting it back in return. So that's one thing that keeps us charged up. But just yesterday, I had a, an appointment with my doctor and she was trying to tell me, Sana, you need to slow down for your own sake. You need to slow down. And I so I think I've known this for around a year now. Uh, but I do think that every advocate around the world, and if it's, it's like just a piece of advice from me to everyone, uh, that while being inspired, you need to know that there has to be self-care for yourself integrated into every day's routine, which I'm trying to bring in now to make sure that I have at least an hour a day, which is just a me time. Uh, I think that's so important because uh, if you really want to sustain your efforts in a in a way that they keep continuing and growing, there has to be self-care associated with it. Otherwise, you compromise on your health. I've not compromised my, on my health, but I do think that with that advocacy burnout phase, I realized that I need to slow down and uh, take things step by step. So, Yeah, that's super important. And you have two children as well, and you have to take care of them and the family and I'm sure other, other things as well. What about you, Anna? How are you, how do you recharge? Uh, it's the same. Having the me time is very important. So, so I do. Uh, Sana works seven days in a week. I would say. I I do not do that. I specifically like the only fight we have is that I take my Friday off. I say I do. I won't work on this day, and I try to keep that day for myself. Um, I just whatever I want to, I do exercise or I may take rest or I do anything that I would like to do uh, just to recharge myself, just to have a good week next um, next uh, coming week because I feel like that one day gives me uh, help in uh, in making myself comfortable and relax and recharge and then it gives me more energy to work in a better way next week. That's good advice. And then also meeting my, like, if, if I talk particularly when we are working uh, day in and day out, when we do different events, like advocacy events, like the CAP we've had, the online CAP we had with you or others, the stuff we do at Meetis and I feel that when we do something for community, that is another kind of relaxation and recharging. 
um i know i get tired sometimes i have to forget myself my levels but at the end of the event when it is a successful event with so many happy faces and people who are really feeling like they have learned something new that gives me a great energy and satisfaction that okay we have done something good for people and they are learning something new so that is another kind of yeah that that's true i would i would agree with that statement you feel so high coming out of an event, even if you've organized it and, you know, sometimes the literal blood, sweat and tears that go into it, the challenges, all of it. But in the end, when you see those children smiling, um, the parents have learned something and are, are so grateful. And all of that is, is such an amazing energy that it, it's, it's hard to, to replicate that. I think I need to take some tips from you about how to make your one day off your one day off. Cause I find I'm like, I'm going to take today off. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to relax and do all this stuff. And then I'm like, Oh, I need to take my laptop to get it fixed. Oh, I need to do this errand and that errand. And then it becomes like the day to catch up on all the other things. And then the, the me time is like out the window or laundry. I just, I just posted a picture on my coaching site with Social media looks great. And then I leaned over and behind me, there was like this stack of clothes to be put away. So yeah, or or the laundry or yeah, so, um, all the, the things. The home chores never end up. They are always there. The only thing I do is that I just do not see my phone and my laptop. I don't switch on my laptop on that day. That's the only thing I can do. Obviously, rest of the things are there and I have to see that. That's that's a really good advice. Like take a screen break for just one day. All all of us all of us should do that. If you could wave a magic wand, I know that we all okay. The first we would all wish for a cure for diabetes for sure. That aside, if you had a magic wand, what is the one thing out after that? You know, that's not the the cure that we all hope that we see in our lifetime. What what would you wish for? What would you make differently? And it can be diabetes related or not. So are you asking about in my personal life or as it it can be whatever, whatever you would like that to mean. It can be in the world of diabetes or if there's something personal, if you, you can use the wand personally. I think Harry Potter did sometimes. Planet, a separate planet for all type ones and just take everyone there where there's free insulin for everyone, free test rates, technology, good healthcare. And like, Amazing. You don't even need a planet. I'm okay with an island, like a beautiful island. (laughs) T1 (laughs) island. (laughs) And beaches and no work to do. (laughs) Oh, just endless, endless, endless fun. That's nice. Because having having type 1 diabetes itself is a full day's work. So it is. It is. I'm sure you've seen the the studies and articles that come out. They've, there's a lot of people in the medical world that they've been studying all the decisions and everything to try to put more science around the burden of type 1 diabetes. And you're absolutely right. I don't remember what the discoveries were, but the amount of decision that decisions that people have to make, you know, you got to be sometimes the nurse, the doctor, you got to have some really mean math skills sometimes to do some of the carb counting or correction factors and different things like this. So there it's, it is like having another, another job in itself. That is and true. We just make a wrong decision, which is okay. If, when we're talking about, when we're talking amongst ourselves, because probably we understand that, but uh, it's not so okay if uh other people get to know about that. So you also have to be secretive about it, that you're not having such a good day because you know that you did something wrong and you know about that. And then you, it's just like trying to. Yeah. Yeah. There's that part of it too. Or sometimes the unintentional things like just last week, my son had a kinked um, insulin pump site, which we haven't had since early diagnosis and I couldn't identify it. Um, And I was so angry with myself for not thinking of that. But, you know, I thought, cause he'd been running high a bit sometimes from being a teenager. And then the sensor was reading incorrectly. He was much higher than he was throughout the night. And he woke up feeling nauseous and vomiting. And thank goodness he was not in DKA. He didn't really have any ketones, but he felt awful. And he missed his school play the entire day. He was so sick. He missed, he was the lead in a school play. Fortunately, they got to do it the day before as well, but he missed the whole second day because he was so sick. So. Uh, 
yeah, diabetes can be really frustrating. And when there's like a, a mistake or a mishap, then it totally just sidelines your whole day. And it, it really takes a lot of time dealing with this on a, a beautiful Island would be, I think much, much welcomed. <laughs> Anam, how about you? So if I would be having a magic wand, uh, Sana has uh, said the most of it because initially when we had this Meet Zindagi, started Meet Zindagi and we had our first initial group, many people over there really wanted to build a real estate society where only type ones can build their home or have their homes. So <laughs> that is one thing. But apart from that, uh, I really want the technology to be um, available everywhere. I know how many people, how important it is for people after insulin, if I would say the second best thing which every type one should have or could have and which can really be benefiting him or her is technology and its affordability. So that is the thing I would, uh, I would like with whatever the latest technology is, it should be available all around the world for every type one at and I would say with, with the magic wand, I would say it should be free, but on a, on a reality basis. Okay. So it should be affordable at least. At least affordable because it's, and, and I understand all the, the R and D and the costs and everything that go into improving the technology all the time. But yes, even some places where it's available, it's, it's not affordable. And a lot of people, you know, they can't afford it. And then we have the gaps of even the basics, like you pointed out, some people either don't have access or they can't even afford test strips to be testing on a regular basis. So I, I love that, that wish as well. Actually, I think that one would be great. And then as we're, we're getting access for everyone, we can stock the Island really good. So having said that, and I think we're, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you, what are your plans for the future? Or meet Zindagi. Okay, so um, we're currently working on. Uh, there, we believe that there are five key areas uh, which person has. Um, if if the person has access to all those five key areas or all those five key services, then uh, he or she can have a great life with diabetes. The first one being the access to the medicines and the test traps and uh, the insulin. The second part being. Uh, Good health care, uh, quality, quality consultations, quality medical care. The third part is the self-management education. The fourth being peer support. And the fifth being awareness of the society. Currently, we're working primarily on three out of these five. And uh, we not only hope to be able to um, be an authority uh, or a leader on all these three uh, areas. Uh, I think peer support, we are the pioneers of peer support in Pakistan and uh, there's no other organization that provides peer support as such per se, no other organization or even a group that does that. But anyhow, um, I think actually need to formalize the area of peer support and its impact using research, using uh, quality of life metrics as compared to all the research that is based on the HbA1c alone mm -hmm. I think it has to be a lot uh, a lot has to do with quality of life together and you can't get anything by looking at HbA1c alone so that's one thing and the other part uh, would be to I, I think we want to reach out to the remotest of the areas and utilize technology for that because right now our peer support is probably, limited to the cities and the and the smaller towns where internet is available uh, but those children and those families who cannot access um, the peer support part I think we need to do something for them how I really don't know at the moment but uh, yes that's my uh, wish for the goal for the future I love that and and you're absolutely right it's about quality of life the yeah, A1C is important, but that's that's just a number of a kind of a screenshot in a short amount of time, as is a blood sugar number. It needs to be the whole package to really have impact and 
help people to live their best possible life in their environment and, and circumstances. That that's, that's really amazing. And I know that you're already doing so much in addressing those areas. So again, well, well done. You are a leader in, in this area, in this space. Thanks for the kind words, Mom. Oh. So thank you both so much for, for joining me for this discussion. I, I really appreciate it. And before actually my first League of Diathlete meeting, I, I didn't know about your organization and I hadn't met you all. And when I heard about what you were doing and I heard your stories, I was so inspired. Like I left that call thinking about you guys for days because it was just incredible. And it left me, like you said, leaving, leaving a meeting where you've supported people and, you know, you feel great after. And I feel really great after that LOD meeting, meeting so many people with diabetes, but your stories in particular was one that really touched me. And I think so many people are touched by you. The, you really, you know, must know this, that the, the people that you're able to reach and support and even they probably sometimes don't even realize it because they're just so focused on their circumstances, but looking at it from the outside, um, I just think you guys need to know how awesome you are. Thank you so much, Carmen. Really kind I love words. your work. I love the, this, the journals that you send. And I think um, the work that you do is really inspiring and it has inspired us quite a few times, specifically when we're trying to educate the family. So great work there and um, it's good to connect always and to learn from each other yes always I'm sure we'll do something together again soon in the future and I'm glad the journals are helpful for those of you listening that's our diabetes school journal um, you can find them on the d shop actually this was just you know every I think for all of us that are advocating and supporting people with diabetes and working in this space for those of us that have been touched by diabetes sometimes, these projects, these things we do, we do them because we know they have to be done. And the school journal was one of the things I said, this must be done because managing diabetes at school is incredibly hard and challenging. It's the second most difficult thing for a parent after the diagnosis itself, I think. So I'm, I'm glad that, that they were, they were helpful for you. Thanks so much for that. Thank you again Thank you for, for joining. Us. Thank you. Thank you to like, Thank you. It was really great. Have a lovely day. Lovely day. Thank you, everyone. I want to once again thank Sana and Anam for joining us today. As I told you at the beginning, their story is very inspirational, and the work that they do is so important and helps so many people. And it's truly a pleasure to know them and observe what they're doing. And it always inspires me to want to do more to support people and help. If you would like to learn more about their organization, please feel free to reach out in the show notes. We will have all the links to you can reach out to the organization or to either one of them, or feel free to email us at info at diapoint.me if you have any questions or you'd like to reach out to them. Thank you for joining.